Drunk Dish contains adult language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. over my chapstick (laughs) we're doing great it's wonderful hello and welcome to drunk dish where three delicious dishes most of the time explore (laughs) food history and get pickled in the process this is episode number 12 fanta and nazis yep i have no idea where this is going (laughs) um i'm melissa i'm amy and Kate's gone again. I was going to do a fake Kate voice. I was going to be like, I'm Kate. But I'm Kate. Yeah. But. That's exactly how she sounds. Because <laughs> everybody at work describes her as having like a nasally, high-pitched, annoying voice. No, that's not true. Everybody says she sounds like the sweetest person on the planet. And that's because she is. Yep. Um, she's off with the boys. They are mm. at RetroCon, um, which I had to miss because I got the stupid cat. Uh, I don't take care of their cats, but it worked out because we ended up recording. Uh, but now she's not here. Oh. She's just out of town. That's okay. She's fine. She'll be back next episode. Yep. Which is great. And yesterday was Amy's birthday. Woo! Happy birthday. She's Thanks. an old bitch. I am. I don't actually know how old she is. It's great. She's younger than me. That's all I know. So. <laughs> I don't really don't mention how old I am because. I don't either. Yeah. Well, people probably think you're younger than you are and people think I'm younger than I am. I don't know if people think I'm younger no? than I am. People no. have stopped IDing me. Um, they've stopped IDing me I bet me a if you had ago. long hair, you would still yeah. get ID'd. Yeah. They probably think a young person would not choose to shave their Even head. though I did that when I was like 14. Yeah. It was a big mistake though. I, I mean. The- I could not. Uh, carry it like you can <laughs> it was bad oh it's really bad i look like a boy um but yeah because i posted all those pictures mm-hmm. uh and some of them you had that real long hair yep and it was so luxurious yeah i'm growing it out again as everybody knows i'm a huge bitch and constantly <laughs> want amy to grow her hair back out amy's beautiful either way it, it, oh. it does not change how gorgeous she is but so, you know long hair adds a little bit of, bit of extra yeah I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, so happy birthday to Amy. Um, Now that that's out of the way. (laughs) um, We like to ask every episode. We like to ask ourselves one food related question. And hell has frozen over because I'm asking the question (gasps) this week. My word. Fucking wild. Yep. Um, So my question is, what is the grossest thing you've ever eaten? Now, this can either be something that society thinks is gross and you actually thought was good or you could have thought it was gross or something that like people eat all the time and you just thought was like fucking disgusting and terrible and thinking about it makes you want to throw up. I have I have a, an answer. I have a couple answers, but I kind of want to hear your answer first. Oh, OK. So I wasn't sure actually when I came up with this question. I wasn't even sure how I was going to answer it because I'm not like I haven't eaten a lot of gross things like I just don't. Yeah, I think I know what generally I'm going to like. And then even if I don't like it, it's not like the grossest thing ever. Like I don't like cottage cheese. Yeah. I mean, I could say olives because I olives are gross. Honestly, don't understand how people eat olives. Yeah. Like I don't get it. But um, so there's that. Uh, I had caviar once. Um, which was just like a, a mouthful of salt. 
Mm. Um, another thing that I don't get how people eat. Yeah. Um, but I think it, the main thing, and now I, I've been told that this is because it probably wasn't prepared correctly or whatever. But when I was little, I was at a family gathering and my grandfather um, gave me chicken to eat like chicken wings Mm -hmm. but they were not chicken wings they were frog's legs and they were terrible like they weren't good like as soon as i bit into them i was like these are not this is not fucking chicken like yeah (laughs) i knew immediately that it was not chicken and they were just terrible like so gross like oh oh disgusting yeah not really not really traumatizing like the time i ate veal but Veal was actually delicious. I understand why people eat that, except for the fact that it's horrifically cruel. Yeah. And then I cried and threw up after. Oh. Because they tricked me. They told me it was chicken. Yeah. <sighs> you got to stop listening to people who say that you're about to eat chicken. I was I, I was a kid. I know. You know? I'm not blaming the victim. I'm well, just yeah. saying. And I think they thought I just didn't want to try it because I thought it would be gross. And not that I didn't want to try it because I thought it was ethically and morally abhorrent. Yeah. I think that is a lesson for all of us to just volunteer your uh, political and moral opinions about matters right. to your family so yeah. that they just know where you stand I mean, on it's pretty stupid that they didn't know that wh- that was why I wasn't eating it, but yeah. whatever. But I also went around work and I asked a bunch of people what the grossest thing was. And super funny, so my boss has a, she hates the word moist. Moist? And she's, and she's listening to this now. She's What's been wrong listening with to, moist? Oh my god. She's gonna be listening to this in her car and she's gonna be like gagging. I'm so sorry. Please don't fire me. Um, but so we were talking and I was like what's the grossest thing you've ever eaten or whatever and she was like oh like or I was like I don't know that I have a thing. She's like well have you ever eaten soggy bread and then she started like gagging and I'm like yeah but you have never eaten that and I go um, and so she's just like in the office like gagging 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 oh, no. and I go oh so wait what you're telling me is you don't like bread pudding and she just like retched and I thought for oh, sure no. she was gonna throw up and she was like that's definitely the grossest thing that's the grossest thing you've ever eaten holy shit oh my god bread pudding and then someone <laughs> else came over to the office door and was like what and I'm like hey bud you like bread pudding and he was like oh yeah it's delicious and she's just like <laughs> fucking dying it was Aww. so funny um, but then I asked um, my coworker that came to the door and he said pig's feet, mm, um, but yeah. that he liked them. He thought they were delicious, but that that's something that like society thinks is gross. Yeah. Um, someone else said chicken feet, mm-hmm. um, but they actually hated them. Another guy I asked, he actually runs like a food blog. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, he's going to say something really interesting. And then I can't even remember what he said because it was so. <laughs> oh, oh, he said um, like chocolate covered ants or something. Oh. Which is like, I'm mm. like, it's basically like a chocolate covered raisin. What are you even yeah. talking about? But then he said he had that um, squid where they serve it to you. Like basically it's like raw and it's uh. just been killed so that when you put the citrus on it, it like the nerve ending still works. So it like moves like it, it tentacles like move. So it looks like it's alive. So like it's a lot of people think that you're eating a live thing, which you're not. It's dead. Um, but he said that that was like revolting. Mm. Like he didn't even want to eat it because. Yeah. It was so upsetting. I can't even handle calamari, and that looks nothing like yeah, what its original form was. Calamari disgusting. Yeah. My mom used to get calamari. <coughs> oh, bless you. Sorry. I have a cold, listeners. Oh, kit, Kitten did not like that. Sorry, Kitten. Um, she used to get calamari, and she knew I hated it, so she would like... She would put it in her mouth so that like the tentacles were like hanging out of Ugh. her mouth, and then she would like chase me around the house. <laughs> 
Um, thanks, mom. Filing that in the things to do to my children. Except you wouldn't be because you wouldn't have calamari. Yeah, I would do something else, though. Do something um, else. Yeah. Well, my kids do that to me right now. They just call it being a food vampire when they like make it look like they have teeth made of food <laughs> and that they chase you around the house. That's adorable. Yeah. Um, then someone else said pickled watermelon, which I can see because like I feel like even if you eat watermelon, that's a little bit off. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. So like I can't imagine that pickled is good. Yeah. Um, and then but someone just completely takes the cake. So this guy, he's he's young. He's like only 20 he's such Mm -hmm. a baby Uh, i don't even understand how he's allowed to work but um he said that he was at his grandma's house and they were having pasta and they ran out of pasta sauce Mm -hmm. so she just took a can of cream of mushroom soup and like didn't didn't like water it down like it was a condensed can of cream of mushroom soup she didn't water it down she just just plopped it in with the pasta and mixed it up and he said it was the most revolting oh. thing he's ever eaten in his life but he ate it uh well i don't know how much of it he ate Ugh. he certainly tried it Ugh. um but that then, sounds pretty gross so another one of my co-workers he eats peanut butter and cheese sandwiches on pumpernickel which like i'd try yeah but everybody thinks it's super gross it would depend on the kind of cheese but yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know what kind of cheese. But yeah. he had sent me, or he didn't send it to me. He sent this to my boss, and then my boss sent it to me. So it's in the drive. Okay. So it's an advertisement um, for a duo to create um, a sandwich. Is it the Skippy and Hellman? Yes, together? it is. Together, tremendous. It's a it's peanut butter and mayonnaise oh. sandwich. Team up America's favorite peanut butter and mayonnaise, plain or fancy. Why? <laughs> I like the one that looks like like a, like the Chiquita banana lady. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Why? Why is there a sandwich that has a face? That's so... Well, and then there's this one that it, it looks like it's half peanut butter on one piece of bread, half peanut butter, half mayonnaise, and it's got a single pickle in the middle, and yep. then two pieces of bacon. Yeah. What the fuck And the bacon this? looks like... Like either like it's crinkled like it's been cooked, yeah, but it it's does not weird. Look it looks like fake bacon. Yeah, I mean, I think this is all fake food, pretty much, or maybe it's oh, just man. because of the color, the colorization. Yeah, um, that's so bizarre. But yeah, we'll post that on the blog. They sent that, and I was like, that's disgusting. Ooh. Um, but yeah. So what? Uh, what is your answer? So after all of the fabulous answers that you've sourced from other people, mine mine feels a little bit silly, but. Um, when I was a kid, and I think I might have mentioned this to you before, I did this thing where I would come home from school and I'd have an after school snack. But like my snack, I was like, a, I was a porker. Like I ate a lot. Well, last episode you told us about the grilled cheese. Yes. Where you would peel the cheese off and then put your chips in it. Right. And then eat like a ball of. A ball of cheese and chips. chips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's so that that's. Yeah. So you being a little bit of porker makes sense. Yes. <laughs> So, so that's like one of them where like I tell people that and then they're like, that seems disgusting. Um, and then I really love the sensation of like salty and sweet things together. So. Oh, for sure. But I would like after school at high school, I would go with my then boyfriend to now husband and we would go to, there was a McDonald's. It was like the only restaurant in town. We would go to a McDonald's every day and we'd get a ice cream sundae. And a small fry, and I would dip my French fries. That's not weird or gross. In okay, that's not weird or gross. 
That's like everybody does that. Oh, okay. Or or milkshake, French fry and milkshake. Yeah. Oh, delicious. Yeah, it's I think it's gross. delicious too. Jake thought it was weird. I don't think anyone thinks that's gross. Okay. I mean, you don't eat very many things, so maybe you I haven't don't. had that much that's gross. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff I've eaten that I've thought was gross, but the general population thinks it's like totally. Yeah, totally normal fine and normal. And fine. Like buffalo wings. Yeah, which like are disgusting. Yeah, I don't. I can't eat anything with bones in it. Like oh, at all that just really skeeves. So you me don't out. eat chicken wings unless they're like boneless, right? Exactly. I get that. I get yeah. that for sure because I don't like. It's taken me a while to get used to stuff with like bones in it. I don't like like a bone in steak or anything at all. Yeah. Um, I'll eat chicken wings, but there's people at my work that will like. And look, they're getting every last bit, so I can't really. Yeah, but they're like but sucking. They'll, they'll the, like put the yeah. whole bone in their mouth Ugh. and suck all the meat off. That's so gross. I mean, to it's me. like amazing That's and disgusting so at the same time. Ugh. <laughs> because Ugh. like it just comes out completely clean. Ugh. So efficient. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so gross. Oh, okay. So Kate just got back to me because I asked Kate since she's not here. Yep. Unless you have another. No. No. Okay. I asked Kate since um, she's not here and she just texted me back and said liverwurst, which, yeah, that shit is disgusting. I've never eaten it, but I've made a lot of liverwurst sandwiches because I worked at a deli. Mm-hmm. That stuff, I don't even know what it is. Have you ever seen liverwurst? No. It's like a paste. Ooh. It's like a meat paste. It's Ooh, almost like, like cat food. It's almost like pate, but like firmer. Like you cut it, but you can't cut it on the slicer because yeah. it's too soft. But you cut it and um, like old men would come in and get it like liverwurst on rye with mustard. And then like we'd have to put it in the microwave and it would make the whole whole deli smell. Ugh. Absolutely disgusting. So that gross. gross. Oh, that's very gross. Ugh. All right. Yeah. So anyways, those are our gross things. Yeah. Even though Amy's isn't that gross. It's totally uh, normal. Know. That's because I'm not an adventurous eater. I mean, that's like adventurous deciding to put your french fries in your ice cream. Is it? Yeah. You just told me everybody does it. I mean, they do, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know that everybody does it. Okay. It was on the, it was in that stupid BuzzFeed article that was like 12 foods you've been eating wrong. And oh. one of them was French fries and it said like to dip it in your ice cream or yeah. your milkshake. And I was like, everybody does that. I used to do that with potato chips too. And that's also the fucking ad that said that you can use a Twix as a straw. That's dumb. You which can't. I bought Twix specifically to test it because there's no fucking way. <laughs> I mean, also, I just really love Twix, but yeah, there's Twix no good. fucking way. Yeah, there's no way that it would work. Yeah. Twix aren't hollow on no, the inside. No, no. They're solid. I'm going to try it. I'm just gonna, for posterity. I'm going to do it, and then I'll post it online and be like, fuck okay. you, BuzzFeed food. We should take pictures. Yeah, we can do a little video. <laughs> Anyways, so normally Kate would say, so Melissa, <laughs> what are we drinking tonight? I'm sweet as a fairy everybody loves me and i love everyone thanks kate um (laughs) yikes yikes on bikes um so tonight um we are drinking a drink that is um its history is kind of um i don't even know how to describe it it was it was created during world war ii Mm -hmm. um specifically um in egypt and it is said to have won a battle for the british Oh, so that's exciting. So the drink is called the Suffering Bastard. Okay. so I'll tell you what it is and then I'll make it and then we'll come back and I'll I'll give you a little bit of history. Okay. so it is one ounce bourbon or brandy. Okay. The original recipe is 
is bourbon, but I guess sometimes people make it with brandy. Um, just like with any cocktail, exact like recipes kind of get muddled muddled throughout the years. Um, and then one ounce of dry, London dry gin. So it's got gin and bourbon in it. Oh, my word. Only one ounce of each. So two ounces of, of hard liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, half an ounce of fresh lime juice, two dashes Angostura bitters, and then ginger ale to top. And then some mint to garnish, but I didn't get mint. Um, and you just kind of throw it all together except for the ginger ale and shake it up and put it in a glass and then top it with ginger ale. Um, okay. There's actually two different cocktails named The Suffering Bastard. So the one that we're talking about was made during World War II. Um, and the other was invented in 1968. That is like a tiki drink that um, has rum in it. Okay. So it's like a completely different thing by the same name. I don't really know why I didn't look into it. I don't care. Weird. Yeah. So I'm going to mix that up. We're going to take a little break uh, and then we'll be back with some history. Okay. Heil. Myself. Heil to me. I'm the crowd who's out to change our history. I'll myself raise your hand. There's no greater dictator in the land. Everything I do, I do for you. If you're looking for a war, here's World War II. I'll myself raise your beer. Every hotsy totsy Nazi stand and cheer. Lord. Oh, my. All right. So we're back. Woo. We've got our drinks. I got Woo. turnt and you got blitzed. What'd your glass oh. say? I was like, <laughs> so confused. Sauce. Oh, you got soused. <laughs> yep. All right. So cheers. Hope these are good. It's got bourbon in it, so probably not. It's fine. Yeah. It's, okay. It's got, like I said, it's got the Angostura bitters in it, which is like the overwhelming flavor. Even yeah. though it only has two dashes in it, it's like all you can taste. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. It feels like it's going to help me get over my cold. Mm, yeah. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. It's better than uh, last episode's drink. So mm. we've got that going for us. Yeah. And it helped uh, win a battle. So Ooh. we're going to like, we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about the dude that invented it. Is so, it that British dude from The Mummy? No. The one with Brendan Fraser? No. Who's like the crusty old Brit no. in Egypt? No. 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 Oh. So this is the story of a man many called an international barman of mystery. Ooh. Uh, Joe Shalom. I had to look up how to pronounce his last name because it's spelled S-C-H-I-A-L-O-M. That's a lot of letters. Apparently it's pronounced Shalom. Um, and he was an Egyptian Jew of Italian heritage, born in Cairo in 1910. That's like, that's the description of like my dream boyfriend. Egyptian Jew of Italian heritage? <laughs> yes. <laughs> also born in 1910. You want that bitch to be like 120 years yes. old. Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Joe was incredibly smart and spoke a total of eight languages. Wow. Um, in his early... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. It's getting God. better and better. Yeah, it is getting better and better. I'm also making sure we're <laughs> recording. We are recording. 
Anyway, so he spoke a total of eight languages. In his early adulthood, he became a chemist in Sudan, but quickly became bored and started applying chemistry principles to mixing drinks. And then he would serve them to his colleagues. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, The drinks were so popular that Joe ditched his lab coat for a white suit jacket and black bow tie of a bartender. In the early years, he traveled and tended bar in Havana, London, Paris, Rome, Istanbul, and Manhattan. I think that might be wrong. (laughs) So I cited a lot of sources for this, Uh like a lot. Yeah. And we're going to put them in the blog post. But uh, I think that that might be later on. But the way that the article was written that I pulled that from, it made it sound like he did that all before what's about to happen. But I think it might have been after. Okay. But anyway, maybe over the course of his life. Yes. Yes. But it was written poorly. Okay. Um, But anyways, by 1937, Joe landed back in Cairo um, at the Shepherd's Hotel Long Bar. During World War II, the Long Bar was the favorite watering hole for British officers in the press corps, um, as well as a lot of um, political leaders and like high up hoity-toity fancy people mm-hmm. um joe was an expert at remembering faces and names and the drinks that they preferred he acted as a banker advisor priest and confidant to his clients um and during his- wait, wait did you say priest mm-hmm. and confidant yes okay yeah during his time <laughs> at the long bar um it was a uh, it was affectionately known as saint joe's parish oh So in 1941, the British were badly losing in Egypt. They had experienced several defeats in early 1941 against German troops led by a tank strategist and field marshal, Erwin Rommel. Mm -hmm. The British had been pushed back out of Libya, and Rommel's goal was to capture the Suez Canal in order to split the British Empire. To make things worse, the war was making it very difficult to get good liquor in Egypt, and officers began drinking extremely low-quality alcohol that gave them raging hangovers and led to mistakes on the battlefield. Wow. Like, this is documented. Like, that soldiers would fuck up, and it would literally be because their hangover was so bad that they, like, couldn't function, (laughs) and they were just, like, throwing up and had a terrible headache and all that stuff. I'm laughing. This is horrible, because their their desire for drunkenness caused... Uh, irrevocable damage and lots of lives lost but also they but, wouldn't have been there to begin with if it wasn't for well, colonialism and I was so. gonna say also that's probably why they were drinking because like all their friends were dying yeah so like, yeah. I can't really blame them war is horrible yeah. is the point yes war is terrible <laughs> Um, so, um, because of this, they were basically begging Joe to come up with something that would like ease their suffering <laughs> so he gathered the highest quality agreement agree, uh, wow Ladies and gentlemen. How many drinks in are you, Melissa? Not that many. I don't know what's going on. Um, I, I should be drinking while you're talking, too. I'm just, like, should. affectionately listening. Yeah. And I should <laughs> really be drinking. Those, like, doe eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he uh, gathered the highest quality ingredients he could source locally, and that's when he created the Suffering Bastard. Ah. Um, so he made the Angostura bitters out of, like, herbs and stuff that he could source. He basically, like, made everything himself and then, like, went around to people's houses to try and find, like, actual good bourbon and actual good gin that oh, wasn't, wow. like, made in a bathtub or whatever. If we had a theme for every episode, I feel like our theme for this episode would be resourcefulness. Resourcefulness. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, the drink was so popular that a telegram was sent to Joe that supposedly asked for galleons of... Galleons? <laughs> gallons of the shiploads shiploads of the <laughs> suffering bastard to be mixed up and sent to the front line which it was what but what like so they could literally drink like while they were fighting it's like this, this 
That seems like not a great idea. Yeah, well. So um, the first battle resulted in a stalemate as many of the soldiers were said to be hungover. So this is before the booze get delivered Mm -hmm. um, from all this like terrible booze they've been drinking. Um, It said that when the two sides met for the second battle of El Alamein, it was the lack of hangovers that led the British to victory. Um, They also happened to change generals in there, which also might, you know, I don't know, have something to do with it. Nah, it's Um, the booze. But yeah, the suffering bastard is just definitely kind of gone down in history as like the reason why they were (laughs) able to get that like one victory because they were losing badly um, in Egypt. So um, that's it for that, basically. Now we're just going to talk about Joe. Um, okay. So Joe was tending bar on Black Saturday, January 26, 1952, when the hotel was one of many foreign-owned businesses that were set on fire by rioters. Fun. Yeah. Um, after the fire, Joe continued to serve drinks and didn't flee like many others. It is said that he was simply slightly ruffled and really annoyed. <laughs> Unfortunately, his popularity amongst the British during the war and the fact that he mingled consistently with so many important people led to him being imprisoned and then expelled from Egypt by Nasir in 1956. Oh. It's Nasir, right? That's yeah. how you say it. Um, so during his time at the Long Bar, one of the many guests he befriended was Conrad Hilton. And when he left Egypt, the acquaintance was renewed, leading to Joe taking a job in Puerto Rico at the Carib Hilton. From there, he moved to Cuba and the Havana Hilton until he was displaced by revolution once again and chased out of the country by Fidel Castro. He moved to New York and the Waldorf Astoria and traveled frequently opening bars for Hilton hotels, including Paris, Rome, and London. Joe's final job was at Windows on the World in the newly opened World Trade Center before he finally retired to Florida, where he lived into his 90s. He survived to see the destruction of another of his bars on 9-11 and then passed away in 2004. So that's it for good old Joe. I do want to say a lot of the information I got from this, not the information that I think is incorrect. That came from Mm -hmm. a different article. But a lot of information um, I got here is from a website called Egypt in the Golden Age of Travel. So like that was like my main my main source of information. So, yeah, that's Joe Shalom and how the suffering bastard helped win that battle. Very cool. And then, I mean, obviously, eventually the allies won the war. But yeah, I think that had more to do with the United States entering than yeah, anything. Yeah, I I think. And then bombing the shit out of Japan when we didn't need to. I took perspectives in history. I know. <laughs> I know what you did, America. Yeah, it's pretty. And I know we didn't need to do it. But anyway. Horrible. Yes. But we had a grudge. Yes. Not, that doesn't justify it. No. But. No. We're a bunch of children. Well, also the numbers were wrong. Like at the time. Like the numbers of people that it would save versus the numbers of people right. it would kill were completely like flip-flopped. So. In I'm gonna share a completely unrelated story real quick. Well, it's slightly related. Um, sidebar, sidebar, math uh, teacher. Sidebar. When I was in middle school, I had a math teacher um, who had an Italian last name. I will not repeat it because I don't want to. Sure. Yeah, but he uh, frequently told our class that his dad was like the second. Like, <laughs> am I peeking? You're fine. You're fine. Willis's face. I'm no, being no, no, too no. loud. You're fine. No, be loud. It's um, was his dad was trained to drop the bomb? He would say, "Trained to drop the bomb on the Japs." Yikes! Um, Yikes, Mike. But he wasn't the one that like went. He was just like a, a second guy that like a stand like a understudy. He was an understudy. Oh God. <laughs> 
Yeah, but he often talks about like how thankful he is that his dad never had to live with the psychological yeah. trauma of having All those murdered. dudes are fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so many people. Yeah. So that popped into my head while you were talking. I mean, we are talking about World War II um, yeah. because uh, apparently we're talking about Nazis, which... I mean, yeah, one of my favorite topics. Everybody <laughs> loves Nazis. Yep. I was learning about um, not learning about that's that's kind of a misnomer <laughs> sidebar. I uh, listened to a podcast the other day that was talking about um, Duarte. Yep. The leader of the Philippines. Yep. And how he said that, like, he wanted to be the new Hitler. Like, that's a quote from him. That's great. He, like, uh, aspires to be like Hitler, except instead of exterminating six million Jews, he uh, apparently wants to exterminate all the, um, I'm doing air quotes, criminals. Oh. I mean, because they've already killed, like, well, according, six, uh, six to 10,000 people, so. According to the Nazis, the Jews were criminals. Right. No, so, so it's very similar. So yep. that's fun. There's, so, uh, did you hear what happened on Twitter recently with that guy that was called a bedbug? And he mm-hmm. like lost his fucking shit. And he was trying to yeah. say that it was uh, calling someone a bed bug was anti-Semitic. Yeah. Because the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. I saw all that. Yeah. That dude's an asshole. Yeah. I like, feel like. No, you were just called a bed bug because you're a prick. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it. And I, th- I feel like the term like Nazi is thrown around a lot. Um, it for sure is. Some of it. Yes. Some of it justifiable. Yeah. Uh, some uh, of it not so much. Yeah, some of it. It's just a person whose views, uh, while probably abhorrent, you don't agree with, and right. so you call them a Nazi. Well, other people, they're, they're just an asshole and a racist, not necessarily a Nazi, right? Yeah, where other people are literally doing like play by play. Yeah, no, are literally Nazis. Like, w- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, first, I obviously we're gonna be talking about how Nazis and phantom yeah i'm like are connected oh wait oh my god i didn't have you go to the drive and look at joe joe shalom oh yeah let me look he at looks him. he looks like humphrey bogart was he the guy the picture of the guy at the bar there's both both pictures are him at a bar one's colorized one isn't okay sorry. one he's like it's black and white and he's talking oh to my a god patron. He so i was gonna ask you is the character of rick from rick's cafe americon based off of him because as you know. were talking about him like there I saw like I felt some similarities. Yeah, I don't know. And I didn't see anything that said it was, but like I also didn't dig that deep. Yeah. I mean he's I mean everybody I mean, kinda him. dressed the same back like yeah, there's but a specific like style. His, like I just feel like he looks like a a non movie star Humphrey Humphrey Bogart. I mean Humphrey Bogart looks like a non movie star Humphrey Bogart. I mean, sure. He's got hair on his knuckles. He's T V he's movie ugly. Yes. Meaning, like, he's not ugly at all, but right. he's not, like, an Adonis. Yeah. But, like, I feel like this guy really looks like I would like still him. give it up for him, but... I mean, of course. Especially especially after he says... Uh, what's her name? I can't remember the female protagonist. If you'll lead from that. <laughs> <laughs> Their husband is the, the war hero. I don't remember. I was gonna say Elsa, but I'm pretty sure Elsa's, like, the floozy that comes to the bar with the midriff bearing dresses all I've the time. I've only seen it once, so... <sighs> it's on my list of something to revisit, but I, I watch it anytime I feel like I need to cry. <laughs> like, it taps into that, like, emotional <laughs> underbelly for me. <sighs> Right, just cry and cry. Yeah, it's so good. But anyway, sorry, I interrupt. So we're talking about Fanta and Nazis. Which, yes, like I'm not. I, what? Yeah, 
Uh, they are connected. So first, I want to talk to you a little bit about Germans and food and Nazis and food and uh-huh. like kind of the climate of Germany in the 1930s. Um, I think we might have talked about this in a previous episode, um, but uh, like Berlin in the 30s was like a really vibrant place in the tw- late 20s and early 30s. And like it was like the art capital, like queer capital, music, co- like culture capital of Europe where like all of the new, amazing, interesting things were going on there. And a lot of people were flocking to the area. So there was like a bunch of food from from elsewhere in the world, but also like Germany still recovering from World War One, um, and they. I know. You're I sound so, out so of breath, sick. Honey. I know. Oh. I'm gonna take lots of deep breaths, and you're gonna hear uh, me say things funny because I can't breathe through my nose. Ah, who needs it? It's fine. <laughs> um, so when the Nazis started to come to power, they weren't uh, like like when I think about Nazism, I usually think of like a list of things that you can't do or you're not allowed to do. But it was actually like a complete way of living and way of being, too. So it dictated everything from like what kind of art you should buy to what kinds of food you should serve. It was like a scripture for every single aspect of your life. So and it's this is kind of striking. Like, you know, if you like watch The Handmaid's Tale and you see Gilead and it's like they have like some of the stuff that, the, that Gilead is doing in The Handmaid's Tale is like good for the environment, but it's like fucking horrible for the people living it. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Like so Nazism is kind of the same way. Like their idea is that like it's better for German economy if we buy German, if we bring more manufacturing jobs. Sure. To, but, so they had like a Germany first. I mean, that's initiative. America all over. Right. Yeah. Um. So a lot of the stuff they do, like, I feel like feels kind of familiar. A big part of all of this is is food and how they view food. So like, well, like once we get into World War II, it, Germany starts to take over and occupy other countries and territories. Uh, those people like start starving to death. But Germans, the German population never goes without food during World War II. So mm. even though that they have rationing and stuff, they just take the food like from. So, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they had like an endless supply of food along the warpath. They took things like chickens, eggs. They took crops from all of the lands as they invaded them. And from the people that they considered their allies too. So like in Italy, they um, Italy had like a longer growing season than Germany did. So they would take produce from them. That was one of their agreements with Mussolini. Uh, and this is something that a soldier wrote home during uh 1941 invasion of Eastern Europe. He wrote, we live well, even though so- we are sometimes cut off from the supply lines. We supply ourselves, sometimes chicken, sometimes geese, sometimes pork cutlets. And so, like, the Germans saw this as, like, a type of resourcefulness, but what they were doing is just fucking stealing. Right. Yeah, you're not being resourceful or efficient. Like, you're just taking from other people and then they're starving. Right. Um, <laughs> but they prize this, like, idea of resourcefulness. Um obviously like we said they're taking food from other people their relationship with food was really intertwined too with like their views of people that they othered so they considered the polish and the jews uh to be groups of quote useless eaters so they saw them as as groups of people who were taking up resources and supplies that would have been better directed to other people because they saw them as like subhuman sure uh and not as like giving 
back like providing right services to the rest of the community or exactly whatever. Like, they didn't work or have farms or right they did yeah it, the the nazis blamed most of their wo- financial and economic woes for world war one on the jewish population they sure. were like the scapegoat of the time yes 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 right um so bef- even before the nazis invaded a single country they started to reshape what their citizens were eating i th- i think um that this is part of them like planning for war is saying like okay it's going to be less abrasive for our people to go to war and they're going to be more willing to stick it out for long wars if we get them used to a war type uh meal and diet now excuse me um so like one of the things that they did is they instituted um a meal that's really similar to like what we call a casserole so like these like Mm -hmm. one pot meals they're called intopf um, and that literally just means one pot when you translate it from German to, to English. And they combined really uh, low quality and simple ingredients to make them stretch really long. So they felt hearty and filling, but they weren't necessarily filled with like really um, like uh, nutrient rich foods. Mm. Um, and then they also too started to look outwards from Germany because all, they had this idea that like Germany was just going to be this entirely self-sufficient country that they weren't going to take food from other countries originally so that they could sure, sure. they could cut off trade from these other countries but after about three years of this uh hitler realized that that was not gonna work like german uh germany has a really short growing season they don't have access to like a variety of produce that uh provide necessary nutrients for their people and war exacerbates all of those factors too so um they started to um they invested in locally owned businesses and commissioned work in design from the outside. Um, but ultimately everything that they wanted to manufacture and grow was inside the German borders at first. So like they invested a bunch of money in German farms and German manufacturing to kind of like spearhead this to, to make it work, to make like a round uh, peg fit in a square hole. Sure. Um, and a good example of this too is like with VW. So like Hitler commissioned Porsche or Porsche, just depending on how much your income is, how you pronounce that, um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to design. Wait, uh, which one's, what, is it Porsche if you actually own one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is that like Jaguar? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the head of Porsche at that time uh, designed what we commonly think of as the VW Beetle. Um, Hitler actually drew like up a bunch of car designs too because like Hitler's vision was like we're gonna make this car in Germany it's gonna give a lot of manufacturing jobs to uh, German citizens so he commissioned the designs Um, he called it the people's car which literally means Volkswagen (laughs) Um, if you translate that into German um, but when World War II took hold, all of the factories that they built just started manufacturing military vehicles mm-hmm, instead of mm-hmm. civilian vehicles. So Germany had this movement. It was called uh, Autarkry. Autarkry? I can't say that right. You killed it. Autar- <laughs> Fucking nailed it. I don't know. That could be right. I yeah. Don't know. I don't know. But it means economic self-sufficiency. Uh, obviously, it's like... It's a four-year plan that Hitler has, but it doesn't work out, as I said earlier. So when it starts to not go well, uh, Germany still realizes it still has to be really heavily dependent on outside countries for most of its food. Yeah. Like, it's just not... The global economy, dingus. Yeah. Hitler's such a fucking dink. Yeah. 
So at the same time that the Nazis are coming to power and they start invading other countries, Coca-Cola is in Germany at this time too. So if we backtrack about like for the history of Coca-Cola, obviously they started in the late 1800s. They had real Coke, real cocaine. Yeah. So it becomes highly addictive. Get sales, fucking wired, yeah. bitch. Sales are huge. And by the 1920s, their Coca-Cola has a manufacturing and distribution distribution plant in every single state in american territory by 1920 by 1930s they're in europe so they're in france and then they're in germany in 1933 when hitler comes to power the american in charge of the bottling plant in germany dies in a horrible car accident which feels really fucking suspicious to me side eye yes Mm. um it's weird that's sus that's what the kids yep. say. Yeah, that's what the kids say. <laughs> I don't think the kids say that. <laughs> oh. um, so a German man who is underneath this American, he was like second in command. He's just given control of the factory. His name's Max Keith. Um, Max Keith. Max Keith. Never trust a man with two first names. Yep. Agreed. No. Um, so he assumes the role. And technically this bottling plant is run by a subsidiary of Coca-Cola called Coca-Cola GmbH. Um, I have no idea what GmbH stands for. So that's just their like global whatever. It's their German specific. Oh, okay. Brand. Yeah. Um, But I don't know what what it stands for. Um, At this time, too, Germany is like starting to restrict trade because of this German first initiative that I mentioned. America's starting to be like iffy about trading with Germany and Nazis because they're like, they're killing people not cool should we what go to mean? war they're not, ri- they're not killing people yeah. that's just a rumor yeah just a rumor let's turn that boat of jews away yeah. they're making that shit it's up it's fine um and then at the same time too keith is coming under a lot of pressure from the nazis so they want this plant running because people are being out of work is like bad for politics it's bad for their propaganda machine um and keith by all accounts is really dedicated to the company too it's kind of legendary, so he wants to keep the plant running, too. So he makes the decision to ration the remaining supply of Coca-Cola. So uh, this is a way to sustain the plant longer. So they have, like, what has been shipped in for syrup, and they slow production down a little bit, and they make what they can, and then they send it out. They, like, tr- let it trickle out of the factory, essentially. So instead of, like sending out at the same rate as they were before war broke out they're just sending it out really slowly to make make the factory like stay in business a little bit longer uh-huh. so it doesn't just go out and then they have no backup plan so it buys up some time and by 1936 this is the year of the um berlin olympics and coca-cola which is an american-based company out of atlanta georgia decides that they're gonna sponsor the olympics sure 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 sure, sure. so coca-cola comes to germany and the banners of coca-cola products their logo is right next to uh swastika banners like like and it's on air for the whole world to see so they're thinking like hey we'll be able to like make some money like this is like a good marketing initiative for us and it kind of backfires no <laughs> um and then this is where like history starts to get conflicting so there's conflicting reports and there's kind of like this internet urban legend that the nazis invented fanta as a response to all of this that's going on to have like a german brand soda and that they recruited uh keith in order to execute this vision fucking keith but by coca-cola's own accounts and later accounts keith comes out smelling like roses at the end so we'll talk about some of this conflicting information in a minute 
Um, so things are really like intertwined between what Keith is doing for Coca-Cola versus what Keith is doing for the Nazis. So, and you have to remember too, at this time, like obviously people are being like hauled off to concentration camps and murdered in the streets Mm. if they don't conform to Nazi ideals. Mm -hmm. So like part of me wonders too, like how much did he do out of this just to survive? Right. I mean, there's definitely a huge (laughs) part of that. Like I like Nazis are Nazis, but during actual war, right? Like there were a lot of soldiers that I'm sure were did not hold Nazi ideals, but their country was at war. I right. Mean, we have thousands of Americans that don't necessarily believe in what they're getting sent overseas for, but they do it because uh, I mean, yeah, that's a whole conversation about joining the military that we won't get into. But but also military. Like there's a draft too, so right? Like it yeah, was, it was you don't have a compulsory, choice, right. right? Like my next door neighbor growing up, growing up was a former Nazi soldier. He signed up. Uh, he, Wait, what? Yeah, he had the best chocolate. Um, but he <laughs> he signed up to be in the submarine because he didn't want to kill people. Like he did. Very German guy. Yeah. Um. So he, God rest him. He's he committed suicide. Oh Jesus, Sammy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, trigger warning. For uh, fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought this was like your current like next door neighbor. No, he I mean he he died five years ago. Yeah. He, he was like ninety eight. He was very, very old and he was it he was done. Uh and was scared about the country that America was going into based off of his lived experience. But anyways. Um <laughs> Melissa's face is great That's right now. That's fucking wild. Oh, what a sweet man. Yeah. All right. Um. So after the Olympics, things continue to escalate, and Keith continues to worry about the plant. He manages manages to convince uh the people in charge to appoint him to the office of enemy property. So that means he gets to supervise all soft drink manufacturing plants in Germany and all captured territory. So he takes over bottling plants in Italy, France, Holland, Belgium, and a bunch more countries. And he's like the head honcho of all of them. So it's why like he holds a position like at this point, like he he's like a minister of something under the Nazi regime. So again, like how much did he do to survive versus how much did he do because he believed in the cause? It's impossible to know. Right. Um, So... At this point, there's absolutely no Coca-Cola syrup, like, left being imported. And that's not something that they could manufacture on their own because they just didn't have the raw materials to do it. So he decides, like, in order to keep all of these plants working, now he's got, like, seven plants under his control. He's got, like, thousands of people's livelihoods at right, stake. Right, yeah. Um, he decides to invent a new flavor of soda. And it's going to be, like, a German flavor of soda it's going to be like germany's contribution to the soda world and he tells the men that they have to brainstorm ideas and to quote let their fantasies run wild and the fanta that the soda later becomes called f-a-n-t-a it's from the first uh letters of the german word for fantasy which is spelled f-a-n-t-a-s-s-i-e and that word sticks with the bed. So that's just fantasy spelled wrong. Yes. <laughs> I 
I'm American. Agreed. <laughs> um, so that Fanta part like kind of sticks with them, and that's what they end up calling the soda, which is their creation. Um, they register the trademark in Germany, and Fanta is born. Now, the drink is made with literally anything that these guys can find. Um, the flavor changes regularly due to scarcity of ingredients. So, so at this point, Fanta, Fanta is like a flavor, right? So, like now, you get you can get like orange. Like I think at work, the like grape and orange soda we have is Fanta. Yeah, I think. But, but there's over seventy flavors of oh Fanta currently, and at this time, there were an incalculable amount. Of flavors of Fanta because it always changed because it always changed. no matter what okay so it was not cons- it was not consistent that's not very German of them I know but they they're improvising they're being resourceful. being resourceful the word of the day it's like Sesame Street yeah um so they always had t- these two ingredients which is whey which is a byproduct of cheese mm-hmm. which like gross and yeah soda and then apple fibers which is literally like the pulp that's left yeah. over after you make apple juice Weird. like it was like a waste product yeah, and yeah whey yeah, is yeah. a waste product too whey and apple pulp yep and then they would add some sort of sugar type substance sometimes uh. it would just be sugar but there were sugar rations at this time too so sometimes it'd be like a synthetic form of sugar yeah Oh, excuse me. Keith ends up like getting a waiver to get the German government to give him sugar so he could keep producing yeah, Fanta. Keep, yeah, keep the factories open. Yeah. And then it, all of the produce that they mix in for all the various flavors, they're importing it from Italy because Italy has that longer growing season. Mm-hmm. So whatever's in season in Italy, that's whatever flavor of Fanta we're getting this week. Like tomato Fanta. <laughs> it's tomato juice, whey, and apple pulp. <laughs> Gross. Ugh. Uh, at this point, like Keith has saved like in some weird back room, like like thirty crates of actual Coca Cola too. He's just stopped selling it to the general uh, population, and he saved it for hospitals. And then um, there is like an occasional like regiment of German soldiers of Nazi soldiers that gets it too, based on like where they are in the war effort. So it's like a little like boon, yeah, yeah. Like, like a little treat for them. Um, and then he also sees like. At the same time, too, because it's the height of the war effort, Keith sees all these other manufacturing plants get their plants taken over, like that VW plant I mentioned, where, Uh like, the German government was like, actually, never mind, we're not building the people's car, we're building tanks. Um, And we're going to take over all of your your supplies, all of your shipping trucks, everything. So Keith is worried that they're going to, the German government's going to take over his trucks and he's not going to be able to distribute the Fanta. So what he does is he convinces the Nazis that Fanta it, or the Fanta plant, which is a Coca-Cola plant, is an essential uh, contributor contributor to wartime efforts. And he does this because apparently at this time, uh, seltzer water is called catastrophe water, which like we got to do a whole episode on that. But catastrophe, catastrophe water. Catastrophe water? <laughs> yeah. What? It's something that like that hospitals that, would use. I'm calling seltzer catastrophe water from now on. <laughs> Someone try and fucking stop me. Yep. So he starts bottling carbonated water because that was like it was a necessary supply for hospitals and for the soldiers in the front line to have access to. So he says, hey, we're going to bottle this. And then now the Nazis can't take over his distribution routes because he's making something that's necessary for wartime effort. 
Uh, so he keeps the plant running throughout most of the war, throughout the entire war, actually. And when the town that houses most of the warehouses for Fanta are bombed, he sets up an intricate network of farmhouses to ship raw supplies. When his workers get drafted, he recruits ex-cons and refugees um, who were a- able to be recruited and drafted into the military. Um, and as I said before, there's some conflicting stuff about like how invested Keith is in the Nazi causes because... Like, I, I feel like I'm painting a bit a relatively, like, positive way right now, but also, like, the refugees that he hired, they were probably, it was probably forced labor. Like, they were probably, like, slaves. Like, oh. so, like, there were a bunch of Chinese immigrants, like, in the country at the time, and they were essentially enslaved and, like, forced to work towards the war effort. So, in addition to concentration camps, there were also work camps. And the work camps aren't necessarily like out in a field, like digging right. ditches. Right, it could just be in a factory creating it, tanks or right, whatever. Right, exactly. That's wild. Yeah. So there's like I it's, mean his his intentions don't have to be um, good for him to not be a Nazi. Right. Like he he could be a Nazi. I have no idea. But also he could just be you know maybe a not not very scrupulous dude mm-hmm. who is just trying to keep his uh job yeah, and keep true. his keep his factories running and doesn't really care how he does it or or he's a good guy i mean doubtful most yeah. men are shit so <laughs> i mean he's probably true. he's probably an asshole yeah yeah so coca-cola stands by their man like throughout all of this um, and they end up running an investigation and everything uh, after the war. But, like, if you ask Coca-Cola whether or not Keith was, like, a hero or a villain of World War II, they're going to say a hero. Of course. They don't yeah. want it on their, in their company history that that this dude was a Nazi when right. he invented a drink that they still sell. Right. Because if, like, that were the case, people would probably be boycotting Fanta. Yeah. Yeah. And Coca-Cola. One of the things that he does that's like leads to this gray area is that there's a 10 year anniversary of the plant and it happens to coincide with Hitler's 50th birthday party. So he throws like a joint party. But that may be to but like again, appease politically. Right. Hey, you're going to have this party like you can't have a party. It's Hitler's birthday. Right. You fucker. Like we have to have a party for Hitler. Right. So who fucking knows? He was probably a Nazi. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So. In uh, January of 1945, Keith is subbed uh, to Nazi headquarters, and it's the really the brink of the end of the war. The Nazis are all but defeated. They're growing in paranoia because they think that there's like an enemy like around every quarter. Uh, there the, was the Allied yeah. troops are about to invade. Like they're surrounded. Um, the Nazis charge him to change the name of the bottling plant because he's kept it a coca-cola bottling plant Mm. this entire time and the company name is still coca-cola gmbh um so they're saying like hey change the name to anything else you can name it after yourself we don't care but just change it within two days or you're gonna go to a concentration camp so he's like shit so keith like doesn't refuse outright but he like, he per- starts to prepare the plant workers that they're not going to have a job anymore. Like, so he goes back to the plant. He prepares them for a shutdown. But then what happens is, like, a grace of whatever divide spaghetti monster is in the sky because 
I did not know what you were saying because because of your cold. I was like, it just all sounded like one word. But I, mean, I probably. But I think you said big spaghetti monster in the sky. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I don't believe in God. So I you did. I do, but not in like an old man and uh, with a beard in the clouds. Way. Spaghetti monster. Yes. Spaghetti what about Alanis Morissette? Yes, I'm down with the latest Morissette as God. What about Francis McDormand? Yes. Okay. Yes. We're I'm on the same both page. Of those. Okay. Um, so the guy who threads him that's part of the Nazi government ends up being killed in a bombing air raid mm. when Berlin's bombed. Everything is suspicious. Yes. Even when it shouldn't be. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, within three months, Hitler shoots himself in his bunker. The war ends. Fake. Fake news. Fake he news. lives. Fake news. He's in Argentina. Uh, one of the first things that Keith does is he said to telegraph to Coca-Cola headquarters when the war ends uh, to tell them that the plant is still standing and he's kept it alive. So this is, I think, where Coca-Cola is like, no, he's actually a good guy. They send um, in people, and then also there is a group of people called the Technical Observers. Um, that name. I know, right? It makes me think of the observers from Fringe. Like, oh, it's just yeah. a bunch of bold bold guys. It's just a <laughs> bunch of bold, bald guys that eat really spicy food and fucking <laughs> creep on Olivia. Yeah. Oh, they're in the same show together again. They're both in Mindhunter. The Observer from Fringe. Oh, my God. That's Olivia. Well, Olivia's in Mindhunter. Right. I just clicked that that's tour. the same actress. And the new in the new season, the new head of their like department or whatever is the main observer from Fringe. No, oh, I just realized that that's what I know her from because I've been watching. Are and you fucking like, kidding me? What is she from? Oh, my God. I don't know what she's from. And oh I haven't God. looked it up. So. Oh, yeah. She's great. from Fringe. OK. Um, so, yeah, the this group of people, as far as I can gather, I mean, someone who knows more than me could probably answer. But like, I I feel like they're like almost like the monument men where it was like this, like, really tactical group that the, the allies sent in after World War Two to like kind of clean up the mess that the Nazis made. Mm -hmm. And I I the gist of of it, from what I can tell, is that they go to all of these previously American-run or ally-run businesses to be like, okay, have you been corrupted by the Nazis? Like, or is there a Nazi running you? Have you been used for the war machine? Or are you still an American or an ally entity? Um, so they go, they find um, Keith working in like a half air-bombed plant because of the last few days of bombing in Germany. So he's just like there like bottling shit and there's like no wall on the right side like and he's just working. He's just still working. <laughs> like I have this great visual of this. So there's some like drama after the war where there uh, there's an investigation done by the technical observers and by Coca-Cola. Oh, so good. I know. How do I become a Coca-Cola <laughs> technical observer? I don't know. I'd wear really severe suits. You should. Like mm. power suits. Yeah. Yes. Um so one of the technical observers gets into like a like a like a fight with Keith and they call him the second Hitler. So it made me laugh earlier when you said that that he wanted to be a Duarte, yeah, wanted Duarte. to be Hitler, yeah, yeah. Um, not that that's not funny, but Hitler part two. The the phrase a second Hitler, I didn't think was going to come up twice in this episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they they 
actually cut him off from getting any further ingredients. They kind of shut him down and they take control of the factory for a little bit. But eventually he's cleared throughout this time. He's like super resourceful. Like he starts like he like bribes a couple of the technical observers. He's like, no, no. Give me the syrup. Give me the Coca-Cola syrup. I can do great things with it. Give me the syrup, man. (laughs) I need it. I need that syrup. And he just like from all accounts, he just wants to have the plant running. So in the end, he gets his job back. He gets his plant back. But the post-war economy of Germany is shit. I mean, as to be expected. Yeah. Um, so sales fell from over 2 million crates in 1944 to only half a million in 1945. And most Germans couldn't even afford to buy soda after the war. And he couldn't get enough sugar for manufacturing. So remember earlier when I was like, he had convinced the Nazis to waive sugar rationing for him. Yeah. Like the same couldn't be done in post-war Germany. Um, Keith eventually makes uh, the technical observers like fully like trust him again. And he's given back the, f- the full control of the plant in 1957. So that's a long time. Yeah. So for that like 10, 11 year period, he's working there and he's kind of like like an acting manager. But the technical observers are still evaluating and watching over his shoulder. It's not till 1957 till they step away. So the urban legend is that the Nazis invented Fanta. But like I said, it's like way more nuanced. Right. I mean, that. yeah, I don't. I don't even if he was like a Nazi sympathizer, I don't think you can say that the Nazis invented. Right. But I mean, it was invented in Germany. In Nazi Germany. In Nazi Germany. So like I get it. Yeah. So, you know, if you drink Fanta, you're a Nazi. Yeah, totally. That's just it. In my research for this, there's some pictures in there that's like early like Coca-Cola advertisements in Germany and some Fanta advertisements. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, but in my research for this too, what because I was like doing some investigating of like what the trade situation looked like in Germany leading up to this to find out like why the supplies were so limited of Coca Cola, and like I found this note that some woman left in the year 2015 on someone's Volkswagen car, and it was like saying that they shouldn't have a Volkswagen, um, and it listed a couple different reasons. And then it's just like in the middle of the note and in a different color ink. So, you know, they like pause to like go get another marker or pen from their car. They're like, and by the way, VWs were invented by Nazis. Like she was like real. So what, like anything invented by Germans ever is invented by Nazis? I guess so. But I don't know. I love this first Fanta ad. I wish that I could say Das. (laughs) Das Erich. Das. That's great. Erfrischneid. Getrunk. Getrunk. Yeah, I don't know. That's perfect. I just yeah. spoke perfect German. Deal it, with was, it. it was beautiful. Deal with it. And it's then. A real derfed. <laughs> Fucking derfed. <laughs> what do they say? Okay. These derfed are, for a long time. These are great. Fanta, bright Underage. orange flavor, rich and true in taste. Yeah, so that picture, that last picture, and I'll put these all up on the blog, the black and white of the guys holding the side. Those are dudes from Coca-Cola, like, f- being like, you know what? We're going to release Fanta to the rest of the world. So That's fucking wild. Yeah. Can't believe my work supports Nazis. <laughs> Got Fanta in our drink cooler. Wow. 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 That's wild. Yep. That's wild stuff. Wow, short episode. Are you all done? Yeah, I'm all done. Short. 
We did it. What time are we clocked We're in? Like just over an hour. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah. I feel S- good about that. So, yeah. <laughs> I never have this fucking written up. <laughs> the next 15 minutes is just going to go us uh, going, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go follow us on Instagram. I. Why did I not make them all the same thing? I don't know. I assume that because they weren't all available or something, but. Do we try? I'm, I don't know. So our website is www. Worldwide web. Worldwide web dot. dot Trunkdish.com. H-T-T-P. <laughs> and then S colon <laughs> forward slash forward slash. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Yeah, just look up Drunk Dish. We'll come we're up. We're on Facebook for the like three people that are still on Facebook in the world. Yeah, like all in the elderly like, in the Russians. People. Yeah, the old. I don't know why I said elderly. The olds in the Russians. <laughs> I like the elderlies. The uh. elderlies. I'm on my way, baby. Um, and yeah, we've got Twitter. Um, we're available on all your favorite podcasting apps. But if you're listening yeah. on a fucking stupid iPhone. Um, <laughs> please go on to iTunes and leave us a. Re- uh, you don't have to like write out a whole review. I mean, if you want to write out a whole yeah. review, you do. You do that. You do you. But like, if you could just give us a rate, that would be cool. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, That'll help us become more searchable. Yeah, because when you search us right now, we're on like the second page. Even oh. if you search exactly for oh. our name, thanks Apple. Yeah. Um. So give us a like over there. We're on Spotify. We're on Google. We're on all those things. Mm-hmm. Um. And as always, um, we'll have the drink up on the blog and then um, episode recap with all the photos and sources and all of that stuff. So make sure you go and check that out. Lots of fun stuff. Lots of fun stuff. Yeah. And happy birthday, Amy. Woo. I think that's all we have. Okay. That's all she wrote. Cool. Okay. Bye. Bye.